Wow. <laughs> Popular. Uh, so today, uh, I'm going to be talking to you guys about finances. And so if you've been coming to the church for a while, you may notice that we don't talk about finances very often. Uh, and there's, this is fairly intentional um, because Mike uh, understands the tension that's there in trying to emphasize the spiritual discipline that is generosity while he himself is a benefactor. So uh, he asked me to do that. As he said, I've served as a treasurer uh, and in many other roles coming up on eight years here at the church, which is weird to think about uh, since I'm so young. Uh, (laughs) However, finances is a very important part of everyone's life, right? Uh, it's, it's It's how we live. Um, and when we think about how to communicate about the spiritual aspect of finances, it is pretty difficult because you have a very broad spectrum of experiences in your audience, right? Uh, so you have, there, uh, there's a baby in the audience, right, who currently makes no money and is, a, <laughs> you know, uh, which is perfectly fine. There are young people who currently don't have a job that might have money with their allowance. Uh, there are people who might be, you know, approaching a million dollars in their investment account, and there might be people who are approaching a hundred dollars in their investment account. Uh, so anytime you're going to give a speech in public, you want to know your audience. Well, with money, people are coming with a lot of different experiences and a lot of different focuses. Um, and so I, I figure this is a pretty challenging one to talk about. So it's not going to be your typical sermon, whatever that means. Um, I remember when I was in junior high, after my birthday, I counted up all of the money that I had received, and I had $120. $120! And I remember this feeling and this thought that I could buy anything, you know, that, that this whole new world of possibilities was opened up to me. Uh, now, suffice it to say, $120 does not mean what it once did. Okay, it does not open up new worlds of possibilities as an adult male with a mortgage. Um, But for some people, it would. Um, Maybe for some people in this room, 120 bucks would be like a drop of rain in a desert, right? It could mean so much to people. And as I was preparing for this, and I was remembering my $120, uh, I looked over at the pile of mail that was sitting next to me, and we had received a letter from Hamaray. Hamare is an organization that trains pastors in Africa. Uh, Mike actually went over to Africa some years ago uh, and led, a, led classes there. Um, and so for Hamare, for $90, I can cover the cost of training the pastor for a year. Uh, with Water for Life, for $100, I can provide drinkable water to two families for the rest of their life or as long as a well lasts. Uh, with Feed the Hungry for $120, I can feed 20 people or 20 children for a month. The value of money uh, is often determined by the views of the person who has it. And so I also found that as your life changes, as you mature as an individual, so does your perception about money and generosity. Uh, And so today, rather than focusing on a single piece of scripture, I wanted to walk together with you through my own personal financial journey, Uh, that kind of those highlights in my life that have shaped my understanding about how finances could or should be used. And so it's going to be very narrative in nature, but 
you will have smatterings of Scripture, because uh, I don't want you to think that these are all my ideas. Uh, so, the Bible, by the way, is also very broad in how it talks about money. Uh, so, I, uh, <laughs> I have uh, about 20 verses here that I could read to you, but I'm not going to read them all at once, because y'all would fall asleep. But I, <laughs> but I wanted to start with two in particular. So, first is uh, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And then Malachi 3.10, this is God speaking to Israel, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. My journey with financial understanding like most of ours, actually starts with my parents, all right, because they kind of provided the framework or foundation of how I understand finances. Uh, Both of my parents, my mom and my dad, uh, taught and exhibited generosity in their own life. And so I saw this growing up. Both of them emphasized the importance that if you were a Christian, was to give to your local church, the one that you were a part of. Both of them emphasized uh, that tithing was an important spiritual discipline and that uh, 10% was the minimum. This is coming from Scripture, where uh, the people of Israel were supposed to give their first 10% of their produce to God or to the temple uh, as a a thanksgiving of sorts. Now, we weren't always able to do that. Um, There were many months where that 10%, even though it was budgeted and hoped for, didn't happen because of unexpected expenses or a number of other things. But that was always the goal. They also emphasized and exhibited uh, kind of, well, I'll say sporadic giving, okay? Uh, So if you, I could cite stories where both my mom and my dad uh, gave food or clothing or money to people who they had never met before. Uh, I can cite examples of both my mom and my dad housing people that were not related to them for several months, uh, which if you've ever lived with someone who's not your family or is your family, you know that that can be uh, pretty taxing, uh, definitely a sacrifice. Both of them thought it was very important that when they saw someone hurting, they thought it was their responsibility to do something about it. It wasn't okay to see the hurt and then walk away. Uh, And that takes some spiritual discipline. That doesn't come naturally. Um, Now, for their similarities, they were different. Uh, My mom was generous, uh, arguably to a fault, okay? She would often be so generous, the bleeding heart, right? She would often be be so generous that it would uh, negatively impact her or her loved ones, uh, which can cause tension in the home for sure. Um. My dad was also generous, but he's very intentional about it. He had a more difficult time obeying that voice that leaned him to give to the homeless guy. Um, Simply because he recognized that that wasn't addressing the whole problem. That he could give him that $10, $20, $50, $100, and he would still be in need. It was very important to him to try and, and figure out how to how to fix the whole problem and not just treat a small symptom. 
And I think that both of these approaches are valid. I think that whenever God sees his people trying to be generous in any way, that he smiles, um, that it makes him happy. So I attempt to live my life such that I will be content with very, very little so that whenever I feel prompted to give, I don't feel like I have to hold on to it. And I plan our finances, and in the budget, uh, there is room for generosity um, so that whenever I feel the prompting, I have no problems or qualms or quarrels about giving it away. So this was my starting point, uh, kind of the framework that I grew up with, but we're going to fast forward to about fifth grade when I started raking in the dough. That's right. Uh, I would uh, get about $10 every week or two for my chores, and I had a financial system. Uh, I had envelopes taped to the back of my closet, one for tithe, one for savings, one for Christmas, and one for fireworks. (laughs) I really liked fireworks, Uh, (laughs) and I loved shooting off fireworks, and uh, so I would. Every time I got paid, I would put money in each envelope, and even then, I understood that, um, I, I got to tell you this. So I was telling Michelle about my pubescent financial planning, and uh, she just laughed, okay, because she was like, so this is what I did. I took all of my money, and I put it in a giant plastic crayon. And then after a certain amount of time, I would open it up and buy as many pet shop toys as I could <laughs> with the money. <laughs> and so... Uh, and then I, I heard from other people after the first service that the, your, your, your financial planning as a fifth grader was very different from mine. Anyway, but that was, my, that was my framework because to me, I realized that money was something that you could use uh, to do what you wanted to do. It was very important to me, and I, I'm not sure why, it was very important to me that at Christmas, I'd be able to buy all of my family members Christmas gifts with my own money. So I don't know how many Phillips head and flathead screwdriver sets my dad got from the dollar store, and I don't know how many cheap, awful perfume my mom got from the dollar store, but it was important to me that I buy these things, uh, and so I did. Every week, I would put a little bit of money into uh, the Christmas one, and fireworks were very important to me, and so by the end of a year, I would have like 50 bucks in my fireworks envelope, and I would take it out and buy as many fireworks as I could, as many artillery shells as I could. Um, And this is kind of where it starts, right? For me, the start of what money meant is what it could be used for. As a Christian, it's very important to to consider what you are using your resources for. And this isn't just money, but time, your gifts, your talents. All these things are things that you can choose to use intentionally And if you don't choose to use it intentionally, then you might end up buying a bunch of pet shop toys uh, rather than being able to buy fireworks whenever you want to. I'm sorry, Michelle. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) uh, So this was the starting place for my my understanding about what it meant. I wanted to to read you all another passage of Scripture from Mark 12, uh, verses 41 through 44. And he sat down, this is Jesus, by the way, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich rich people uh, put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow 
has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. In the third grade, I started singing in choirs at school, at church. I joined the Greater Dallas Children's Chorus. Uh, Singing was a big part of my life. I enjoyed it, and I still do, if you didn't know. Um, And when I was in about the eighth grade, I learned and memorized the song Thank You by Ray Bolts, and I sang it at church. Uh, Thank You, by the way, was the 1990 Dove Awards uh, Song of the Year. Didn't know that. Um, But it left a great impression on me in terms of how I could think about finances and the gospel in general. Uh, I don't know if Ray Bolts knows this, but uh, I sent him an email, so maybe he got it. Um, So the the song, I'm not going to do a solo uh, or anything like that, but the song... It starts off with him saying, you know, I I dreamed I went to heaven, and he's there with his friend, and they're walking through, you know, golden streets, and there's angels, and then he sees someone who calls his name, and he says, uh, you may not remember me, but I went to your Sunday school, and one time when I was eight years old, I accepted Jesus into my heart, Uh, and so I'm going to read for you that I don't even have to read it. I have it memorized. Uh, I'm going to tell you the rest of the lyrics and um, go from there. Uh, So the first chorus starts out with, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Then another man stood before you. He said, Remember the time? A missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't, have, you didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took that gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. One by one they came as far as the eye can see. Each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done and sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven now proclaimed. Thank you, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Even now, it's hard for me to process those words without emotions being stirred. I might cry at some point. I apologize. It's just it's very personal. And there were two things that kind of stuck with me about this. So the first was that this, to me, was the whole purpose of Christian living. That if by my actions, by my giving, small and great, someone could come into a close relationship with God then I've succeeded in life. That not only counts for our gifts, our financial giving, but for our time. I don't remember what, I don't remember who my, uh, my Sunday school teachers were. I don't remember the name, but I'm sure there is something about God that I know and understand because of their efforts. 
Um, which brings me to the second part, which is that I am the product of other people's faith and sacrifice. Um, we as believers often like to think that we are kind of in our own world. And for some part, it's true. But our faith is not our own. Our faith is the product of the service of countless people. Um, I would not be here today if it weren't for the service of countless people. And not just like our own personal story, but think about church history. All right, The fact that this church still exists here today is because of the quiet, humble, kind lives of Christians past. We stand on the bones of martyrs who have brought us here today. And it made me it made me very, very grateful to my church brothers and sisters. Uh, and it made me very, very empowered to know that even if I never see the impact, if I never see the result of my small actions, then it can still have resounding effects all throughout the world. In Deuteronomy 23, 19, it says, uh, you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of. And then in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 through 10 but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving that some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Moving on into high school, our financial situation changed. Now, we were never exactly wealthy, okay? Uh, money was always tight. My mom was a teacher at a private Christian school. My stepdad was a butcher. Uh, my brother and myself and my stepsister all went to a private school. And so money was tight. But uh, they, they knew about her. Jim knew about this gas station, this old gas station that was the only gas station for miles and miles and miles around. And so they decided to try and buy the gas station and turn it into a profitable business, profitable business for them. And so they took out a loan with the bank. They talked to the old man. They purchased it. Uh, but as can happen, it didn't go well. And they ended up selling it back to him, but he was only willing to buy it for 64% of what they sold it to him. And uh, during that time period of some months, they didn't have that second income. And things got very difficult. And they tried to work with the bank, with bill consolidation, even small things like changing the date the money was due. And the bank was unwilling to work with them. And so with a heavy heart, they filed for bankruptcy. And it wasn't just a business failure for them. It was a spiritual failure. 
they were so laden with guilt because they felt like they had lost all integrity because they couldn't live up to their own agreements. Uh, and it was actually a, a Christian lawyer who helped them through that. He said that in God's economy, it's actually the responsibility of those who are lending money to work with those who owe the debt to try and get it paid. In fact, in God's economy, in the, Israel, uh, the Israelites, they had a year called the year of Jubilee, where all debts would be forgiven. If you sold your family land for use in order to pay off a debt, after the year of Jubilee, you got it back. If you sold yourself as a slave, after the year of Jubilee, you were set free. Uh, God, in Scripture is staunchly against the oppression of the poor. That is very, very clear. And personally, I think that he looks at interest as a concept and doesn't like it. Uh, Because what it can often do is establish a system that enslaves people, that creates a system where they cannot overcome their debt. Um. And I did get permission to say this, for the record. (laughs) Uh, I had heard someone say that there's nothing more terrifying than whenever your child is going to give a sermon. Uh, (laughs) And uh, through that bankruptcy, there were lasting financial implications for them, for their kids. Uh, It's certainly not a desirable option. That's not what I'm saying. But from that, their faith grew. And through that, they experienced generosity and love from their fellow believers that they would have never had the opportunity to. And when you receive generosity, it's so much easier to give, to be generous. And as a Christian, one of the titles that you accept is gift recipient. Okay? Uh, God has blessed you and gifted you with salvation And when you live with this in mind, your palm almost opens on its own. It's hard to withhold blessings from other whenever you think of what you have as a blessing from God. Later on in high school, I went on a few trips to Monterey, Mexico. Uh, Some mission trips. Let me me clarify. That's right. (laughs) Uh, To provide vacation Bible school to some local churches, uh, to a church in the mountains, we improved our mission home um, by building a second story, believe it or not, uh, as a high schooler. And we would also do something for the poor or uh, for the disenfranchised. A very packed mission trip. Of course, I enjoyed it. Um, so coming from Dallas, what we would typically do is we would drive down to the border. Uh, and then at night, or we would, we would cross over the night before, <laughs> legally, uh, <laughs> And we would get the paperwork ready for the long drive to Monterey the next day. It's a several-hour drive. And so we would go over uh, in the evening, and we would stop by this orphanage, uh, talk to them and ask if they needed anything. And then the next day, we would stop by it on the way to Monterey and give them whatever they needed and then be on our way. And the first time that we stopped there, uh, we brought 200 pounds of rice and beans. And uh, never a good or a bad idea when you're going to an orphanage. And uh, the woman who was running it said, praise God. We had just run out of food yesterday. 
but I knew that God would bring us some more. (laughs) This apparently was her common life. This was her financial plan, trust God to provide. And as a high schooler, this was very difficult for me because, and it still is, because that is so different from how I am. <laughs> I, I struggled because I wasn't sure that I could live that way. And I had heard about people, right, that, that live trusting God to provide food for them in history. But this was now, right? This was 2004. <laughs> it dates myself. Okay, 2004. And here this woman was within a driving distance that was trusting God for her daily food. In Matthew 19, a young man asks Jesus uh, what he must do to receive eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you have to follow the commandments. And the young man says, well, I've been doing that. What else do I lack? And God, or Jesus says, well, if you want to follow me, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he turned away sorrowful because he had a lot of money. This was particularly powerful for me because I remember thinking, if I thought that Jesus wanted that life for me, would I be willing to sell all I had and live trusting him day to day? Or would I walk away sorrowful? Would my faith only take me so far? And it's a thought experiment that drove me and still drives me to this day to try and build up my faith and trust in God to the point where if he ever did ask, I would say yes. I'm not there yet. Um, But I hope to be there one day. As Christians, it's very important that we are continually striving to build up our trust in God. And that's in all aspects. But in this particular context, context, financially. Continually seeking to become more righteous and to know him more fully and to trust him more unconditionally. So I went off to college. I met Michelle. And we fell in love. And we got married. That's the short version. That's right. And when you're married to someone who has a master's in theological studies, you got to be prepared to have your beliefs challenged challenged. There was a time a few years ago where I asked God to help me be more generous, which God interpreted as send as many poor and needy people into my line of sight as possible. Uh, (laughs) Which, by the way, if you ever ask God to help you with any spiritual discipline, that's what you should expect. Opportunities to build it up. At least that's my experience. Maybe he just, you know, blesses some people. Oh, I'm suddenly more wise. Thank you, Lord. Um, so like one time, I'm, I'm literally in the checkout line at Walmart, and this Romanian couple comes up, and they ask for diapers for their baby. So I go off, and I get a mountain of diapers, and I bring it and pay for it, and they're extremely thankful. And we're talking about how they were been in the country for two weeks, and that, you know, that they were just struggling to find a place to live, a job, and all this stuff. Very, very, very grateful. And then uh, another time, I'm you know, going in, and 
a guy asks for 10 bucks. He says, you know, my kids are over there at this jack-in-the-box, and I just want to buy them some breakfast. And so I give him the $10, go in, get my items, secure it in my car, all the while thinking to myself, you know, $10 is really not a lot of money for three people for food. I'll head over there and buy them some more if they're still hungry. So I head over there, and the the jack-in-the-box is closed. And the guy had lied to me. And he took my $10. And it wasn't about the $10, okay? Didn't care about the $10. I was angry about the deceit. And I was upset about being taken advantage of. So I went home, and I talked to Michelle, who properly consoled me before giving me some perspective, like wives tend to do. So she said, reminded me that Jesus was taken advantage of, that he was hurt, that he was betrayed, and that if we're following him, we shouldn't expect that not to happen. Sometimes being obedient to God, I'm going to say in particular with generosity, means that you get taken advantage of, means that you can be hurt, means that you'll be lied to. And I honestly think that it's still the right course of action. So God and I had a conversation after that, and I decided that whoever he sent my way, I was going to trust him to send people my way that he wanted me to help. And he, I'm not sure of this, but I'm pretty sure, was just up there chuckling merrily at what he had in store. (laughs) In Luke 16.10, it says, One who is faithful in very little is also a faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you who have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you which is your own. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So Michelle and I were entering a restaurant a few months after my uh, giving to the man who went to Jack in the Box and my conversation with the Lord. Head into a a restaurant, and a man walks up to us from a gas station. And and I tell Michelle to go in. We were visiting with her family. And I say, you know, what's going on? He says, well, I'm, I'm here at this gas station, and uh, my kids are in the van, and I need money for gas, and I don't have any. So I head over there, and I fill up his tank, and I wanted to give him more money. But my debit card had expired, and so I gave him my cell phone number and said, call me, I want to help you out. And he did, not surprisingly. So he called me, and from there, we helped him out a great deal. We helped repair his vehicle. 
We helped pay for his groceries. Over the, ser- over the period of several months, I met his kids. I met his kid's wife. We had meals. I went to their house. And sometimes he would ask for money, and sometimes we would say yes, and sometimes we would say no. Ultimately, what that experience produced for me and Michelle, which, by the way, it was, it was certainly a growing point for me and Michelle, um, was that poverty is hard to overcome. It didn't matter how much money we gave. It was so hard to overcome. The first time I experienced true poverty was in Monterey. We, uh, it was the second time we went down, and we had planned to go to a nursing home, but the nursing home was undergoing renovations, and so uh, we weren't allowed to go. Instead, we talked to a pastor and asked him where we could go to minister to the poor. So we pulled out a map, and he told us the location. And so we started heading over there, and I thought... I thought that he had given us wrong directions because it was a trash dump until I saw the people. We went back the next day with 75 bags of rice and beans to hand out. And within five minutes, there was a line at the back of our car of at least 200 people. And we gave out 123 bags. We would turn around and find another bag, and another bag, and another bag. Uh, It's one of the few times in my life where I truly believe I experienced something supernatural. Because I made the 75 bags, and I counted them. There's two things that I want you to take away from this, these, these two stories. <clears throat> the difference between you and a poor person is not as much as you think. The difference between you and a homeless person is not an ocean, but a small stream. Most of the people in this room, I don't know your finances, but I would wager that you are a few jobless months away from having to depend on friends and family just to keep your house. That's my guess. And the more you interact with, the poor, with poor people, with the homeless, I think the clearer this becomes. There are many good people who have just experienced heartache after heartache after heartache, and that is what led them to where they are. And the second thing that I took away from this, and if you, ever, if you take away anything from it today, I want you to take away this. As Christians, we must remember that we serve a God of infinite resources. There is never a time when God wants to do something that he can't accomplish it, okay? And whenever we live thinking that God is limited, then our giving and generosity will be limited. If we think that God is infinitely gracious and infinitely capable, 
and that he has blessed us, then we are much more likely to give that blessing to others. Before we end today, I wanted to talk about two more things. These aren't narrative in nature, which is why they're, they're not uh, in the normal group. But I believe that they're, to be, they're very, very important. When I've been talking about generosity in my stories, primarily, either explicitly or implicitly, I've been talking about generosity in humanitarian ways, okay? Giving to the poor, sheltering, giving water, clothing, things like that. I wanted to make it clear that I think it's important to give to the church. I hope that you give to this church, the church with a capital C. I hope that you give to this church. And I don't want you to give to this church because we want a new building or so that Mike can live more lavishly or (laughs) even so that we can be a blessing to the community. I also don't want you to give to the church because it was the expectation of the Israelites from God in the Old Testament. I want you to give to the church because you believe in the church's mission. I want you to give to the church because it's important to you that the church succeed in making disciple making disciples. As God's people, our mission is to bring the kingdom of God to earth. As God's people, if we, are t- if we were to go and to feed everyone who is hungry and not share Christ or Christ's love with them in the process, then we have failed in our mission. I was very surprised whenever I looked up statistics about giving in churches to find that last year people gave less per capita to the church than they did during the Great Depression. I do not believe that that statistic is reflective of our church. I know for a fact that our church is very generous. I have experienced it firsthand, secondhand, and thirdhand. How generous our our church is. And I believe that there is this strong pull, okay, to give funds to things that we believe to promote humanitarian causes. Um, And not just like Christians, but even non-Christians. I have several coworkers who give generously to those who are hungry, to those who are in need. But as Christians, it's important to remember that we're, our goal is to address the whole problem. Just like if we were to go to Africa and to convert a bunch of starving people to Christianity and do nothing to sate their hunger, we have failed to bring the kingdom of God. So it is true that if we feed their bellies, and do not share God's love with them. We have failed to bring the kingdom of God to that place. The second thing I wanted to, uh, to leave you all with is rooted in that Mark 12 passage where the, uh, the widow gives two coins. I believe that God places a higher value on generosity based on faith than generosity based on funds. I cannot give you a number or a percentage that will accurately reflect what God wants you to give. But I would wager a guess 
that the, the number that he wants you to give is one that requires you to trust him a little, at least a little. Because through giving, we are able to develop our faith. So I'm going to encourage you to do three things uh, this week. Big three. So number one, the best way I know how to figure out what God wants you to give and how much and to where is to ask him. Uh, I would encourage everyone here to go home, look at your finances, and ask God to tell you or show you how much he wants you to give and to where. It may be the standard 10%. It may be 3%. It may be 500 to East Fort Men Human Needs and 1% to First Colony Christian Church. Uh, it might be based on your gross or your net. I'm not going to get that specific. Um, okay. Ask God to show you and tell you what he wants you to give. And then make this a standard practice. Like I said, the way you think about finances and your financial situation is going to change. All right? Whenever you pay off that credit card, whenever you pay off that car, whenever you get that second job or that second income, all right? Ask God, how do you want me to change my budget? Similarly, whenever you lose your job, whenever you have to get that new car, whenever you get that new baby, okay? Whenever new expenses come your way, reevaluate. What's my budget look like? What does God want me to give now? It's okay. It's okay. I would also encourage each one of you to consider your own financial journey. That was one of the best parts about this, was just thinking about what events in my life have shaped how I think about finances. Um, I would really encourage everyone here to do it. Maybe even write it down, because uh, you might forget things. And then lastly, if you do nothing else, I would really like everyone to pray for this church. We are blessed with a generous congregation, and the leaders are trying very hard to use this money wisely to bring the kingdom of God to earth, to use your generosity wisely. And to do so, we need wisdom. We need discernment. We need a sensitivity to the spirit. We need unity in order to use the funds well, and we very much wish to do so. Let's pray together.